Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We are taking our 11th look at 2 Peter. I want to say this will be our final one, but I've learned better than that. We began in verse 8 of chapter 3 today. We're in the final chapter. We're in the final 10 verses. Sermon 11, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Peter has been telling us, make your calling and election sure. Tough days are coming. And he's just finished telling us that there are going to be people that are going to be snide about the whole business. They're going to laugh and jest at any idea that God's ever coming back. And uh, they're going to tell you that, well, he left. He's not answering the phone. He's gone. It's it, it, the Bible. Who knows what happened Just go on, live your life, and die if this is all there is. So Peter tells us in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, dearly loved ones, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. First of all, there's a lot of comfort in knowing that God has all of eternity in which to work. It's hard for us to imagine eternity. We live in this time continuum and we live in a linear design. So we have deadlines that are coming up. We have a past and all of that. One of the ways we like to try to express eternity is that it is time without end, but it really is more than that. It's not just extended time. It is an existence that is above and beyond time. So I would say this, it doesn't just not have an end, it doesn't have a beginning either. Oh, I love the old song, when we've been there 10,000 years, we will have only just begun, but It's probably not a good assessment of eternity because you never begin in eternity and you never end in eternity. It is totally free from the idea of time. And you remember what he told us, the theme of our whole study back in chapter 1, verse 10. Make your calling and election sure. And we know from other places in God's Word, such as Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before He ever created anything. He already knew what was going to happen. He knew the events that would lead to His death on the cross. He knew about this day uh, that we're in right now before He ever created the world. And he says, I chose you out of the world. I, I called and elected you before the world was ever even created. So 
make sure you, you understand that. Because unless we realize that God is in eternity and nothing happens before Him or behind Him, that God can see it all at once, what, what you wind up with is some idea that God says, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven, you go to hell. And, 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 and it's really so much more than that. Because He knew how all of this was going to be. He knew that you were, if you have, were going to accept Him as, his, as your Savior. He already could see all of that ahead of time. So before we ever had a chance to choose Him, He chose us already. And it's not some warning that he might be leaving some out. No, it is an affirmation that you're never going to lose your relationship with God because one, you had nothing to do with getting it to start with, but it was already written in the stone of eternity before God ever even created the world. A powerful, powerful truth. It's the eternal perspective, though, sometimes that would help us. But it's, it's hard for us to imagine that. The book of the Revelation. I, I, I know it's had a lot of different uh, ideas uh, packed around it. But I can simplify it somewhat in that God brings John up into the eternal realm and says, I know you've seen a lot of things. You've seen the Roman Empire just absolutely have its way. You have, you know about the Son of God and you've seen Him die on the cross and all of that and be raised from the dead. And right now the church is going through a horrible time. Uh, Jesus has been gone probably about 30 years uh, at least into heaven. He is there now in the body of Christ. But, but after all of that, God says, John, I know things look one way to you down there, but I want to bring you up here into the eternal realm and let you see how all these things look from my perspective. I can tell you, an eternal perspective is a way of seeing the pain and the pleasure and the purposes of our lives as part of the redemptive plan of God. And, and I, I, one day, there's so many things that right now do not make sense. And I'm not just saying, you know, well, if you had been to seminary, they would. No, no, they wouldn't. I don't even think seminary makes sense. But I, I would say to you, there's a lot of things that right now we just think, what is the purpose of that? Why did that happen? What is the good that could ever come from that? But one of these days, we will see it from God's perspective. And a lot of things that make no sense to us now, we will see how God got glory from all of that and how that it was part of the plan and the will of God to allow it to happen and how God is going to be glorified eternally forever through it. But for now, Peter says you need to read this letter again. <laughs> he says because it's going to get tough before it gets better. I read one verse of this already, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says, For this light momentary affliction. Now remember, this guy was already beat to death one time. He was actually beaten several times, but one time they really thought they killed him. He says, but for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Remember, kavod and the word weight. 
the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Man. Verse 18, as we look not at the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. We don't see them. We're not experiencing these things with our five senses right now. But the day will come when we will. For the things that are seen that we do see, we can put in our pocket, our bank account. We can build on our property or we can drive up and down the highway. He says, for these things are seen, but they are temporal. They're transient. They are passing. But the things that are unseen for the believer are eternal. Well, verse 9. He said, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. He said, some have accused God of, hey, where are you? We, we thought you would have been here by now. But listen to what He says. But He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, first of all, when you start to measure God's uh, so-called tardiness by human standards, it looks like He might be slow, but He's not slow at all. He's on His own timetable. He doesn't go by our calendar. And so while it may seem like, wow, He's gone and and this time it seems he's gone forever and, and, and it just seems like that he is never coming back. I can tell you the only uh, the way he looks like he's delaying anything would be in respect to our schedules, but not in regard to his. As a matter of fact, he says, see me taking my time as patience, as being kind. Wanting more people to come to know Him. And yeah, I understand there are more people that will be born today than will be born again today. But God says, do not look at my delay as if I have gone away and I'm never coming back or I'm jerking you around or it's just never going to happen. No, He says, understand, I am very, very patient. And Peter is warning us that the day will come. It might be like uh, 2,023 years later, but He says the day is going to come when, when you're going to sit and think, is He coming back or not? Is it ever going to happen? We are by nature, most of us, impatient. Sometimes we say it's never going to happen just waiting on our wife to get out of Walmart. We think it's never, never going to happen. God says, don't do that with me. Don't treat me like I'm just one of you but bigger. He says, I'm God, and I don't live in your time frame. I don't live in your time continuum. One of these days, if you put your faith and trust in me, you won't either. One of these days, there will be no more deadlines. You'll live in the eternal realm, and it may seem like it's never going to happen. He says, wait and see. It will happen. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord... The day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The day of the Lord has a Jewish origin to it because the Jews believe that there is this age in which we live and they believe that there is the age to come. 
Now for the Jew, they believe that this age in which we live, that the Jewish people are just downtrodden. They've been in all kinds of uh, slavery and bondage and all of that. But the day will come, they say, that, that boy in the age to come, the Jewish nation and all of that will rule the world. And that was something that they believed in hell to. And the thing that divided this age with the age to come, the golden age they would call it, is called the day of the Lord. Now God uses that terminology in the New Testament, but boy, He doesn't present it like the Jews did. Because it's not the Jews who are going to rule and reign over the world. It is God Almighty who is going to be victorious. But He does warn us, make sure you know there will be a day of the Lord. Man's works, they're going to be burned. They'll be destroyed and all about which humans boast, all of the great cities and the great buildings, our inventions and all of our achievements while we're here on this earth, all of that is going to pass away. It's going to be destroyed. It's, it's going to be uh, done in forever. So he says, make sure you get an eternal perspective here on things because no matter how great and awesome and mighty things look now, all of these things that we see on this earth one day will be gone. On 9-11, I would have to say, if you ask me to just, in one word, describe what you saw on television when those twin towers came crumbling down. One word I would use is stunned. Stunned. This can't be. It was like an apocalypse to those people that were there. And even from us watching from a long ways away on television, it was hard to even know what to say. It, it's like you've got these gigantic buildings and they're crumbling into dust and thousands of people are dying and things that were never ever supposed to be destroyed. Things that we thought were indestructible, they all of a sudden, they're lying in ruins and the bodies are strewn everywhere. We were stunned. That was just two buildings. God says one day there will not be one building left. He says, I will destroy it all. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Like a thief. And when you think about a thief, there's a different word for uh, bandit or robber. Those are the words that were, the word that was used for the thieves that hung on the cross beside Jesus. They were bandits. Bandits and robbers, they, they, they take things away at gunpoint or knife point. Uh, they kick in the side of the car or break out the window and drag you out and beat you half to death and take your stuff. But the thief comes and goes before you even know he's been there. And we live, I think, in times when most people are thinking that, man, it's probably just not going to happen. Even people who go to church, they, they're, they're trying to figure out, wonder how it's all going to turn out. Because I'm telling you, what we thought of when we read the Bible, that one day the Lord was going to come back, looks like to me that if He were going to do that, He would have done it already. He says, be careful. 
He says, just like you walk in your house sometime and you realize, oh my goodness, you maybe have been there two hours and didn't even realize it, but you walk in a certain room and, and you see a safe or you see a chest of drawer or you see some place you had things hidden and all of a sudden you realize you've been violated and the thief has come and gone. And it was over before you even knew it. One of these days, he says, that's how I will come. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he asks a question. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? If all of this stuff is going to pass away, how should that affect the way we live our lives right now? In November, I'm going to get to do a study with the youth. I'm looking so forward to that, and we're going to talk about a biblical worldview. And a biblical worldview is like putting on a pair of glasses that everything you see through them looks a particular way. It just changes how everything looks. And when you look at the world from a biblical worldview it is so different than looking at the world through a pagan or a non-biblical worldview so many things that are so important here in the now will not be important in eternity and Peter says so how should that affect the way we live our lives well I can tell you now parents let's start with us We should raise our children to know that, hey, it's great if you're good at sports. It's great if you're an awesome dancer. I know I I was quite the ballet. I don't know what you call the dudes, but anyway, I shouldn't have started that. I got in over my head before I got my tutu on. What a visual, right? I tell you, this is apocalyptic. It's... It'll bring buildings down. (laughs) But it should affect us when we tell our children all those things are great. So what if you're Miss America? So what if you're the best of this and that, the valedictorian, all of that? No matter what, we should live every day in our homes in a way that points our children toward an eternal perspective. And that's hard to do when they see us half kill ourselves with work, focusing on money, bigger, better, nicer, being the best always, never spending time as a family with God, never getting on your knees with your children and praying with them. You can celebrate all of these achievements. It's just, it's, it's awesome. I'm not saying not to do that. Enjoy that. that I, I think you should. I, I think that those things are great blessings. But I want to tell you, in the midst of that, if, if, if church and and the Word of God and praying together as a family, if all of that takes a back seat to what's going on in the world, don't be surprised when your kids grow up and they don't care about what goes on here. They're only doing what you taught them. And usually what parents do in a limited fashion, kids do in an excessive fashion. We don't want that. We don't want that. 
Most people live their lives honestly hoping their kids don't grow up to be like them. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Or worse. Man, this should change our perspective. All of these things that we just ruin our health over, spend all of our time pursuing, all of those things that if our priorities are out of order and we're not thinking about the eternal things, listen, friend, this world is not our home. Don't forget that. When I was in Togo, I wasn't thinking about building a house. Honestly, I have such regard for missionaries that go to those places and live and die. Paul and Diane, oh, and man, I'm telling you, you know, it's been said about them everywhere they go, they take their caskets with them because they go there to stay till they die. And I have such regard for people like that because I've been to some of those places and I only stayed there a little while. What I did was nothing but when a mosquito that is big enough to carry away a small child bites you on the neck and a worm about this long crawls out of that hole the next morning, you realize, wow, We are not in Kansas anymore, Toto. But everywhere I ever went like at Benin or Togo or Egypt or, or, and I'll tell you, the darkest, most dismal place I've ever been in my life, you might go and might love it. I wouldn't recommend going there right now. But Ukraine was one of the most dismal places I've ever been in my life. So much drunkenness, so much just... And, of course, I was near Chernobyl, and that kind of added a, you know, an additional feeling of death and, and poisonous, uh, just uh, uh, depression. It was, it was in, incredible. But here's the one thing that I always knew. I was never going to build a house there. I was never going to open a bank account there. I was never going to raise my kids there because I knew that I was going home and it's not just I don't have to go I don't even have to go to a third world country I can tell you when we go on vacation and we're going out of town to a nice place and enjoy ourselves and and fish and have fun do all those cool things for a whole week I can tell you the two best days for me one the day we leave to go and the second one is the day we come home about a week's all I can stand. I'm just telling you. I got a friend of mine who has like 10 trillion uh, mile points or whatever you get. I don't know. He wants to take me on a cruise so badly. I, I don't even tell my wife how many times he's offered to take us on a cruise. I tried to keep it from her. I wouldn't give you a nickel for going on a cruise. I know you went. You loved it. I bet if I went, I'd, ooh, I'd be a convert. I just, mm, I doubt it. I love home. And in this old world here, sometimes even on its best day, it's tough. It's tough. But I can tell you this. One of these days I'm going home. C.S. Lewis said, oh, powerful word. He says, because this world doesn't seem to ever be able to satisfy my deepest longings, 
He said, to me, that is proof that I was made for a different world. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. That's a great verse. Without spot or blemish and at peace. How can that be with so many faults and failures in my life? How can one day he present me as his bride without spot or blemish? Well, we already know that. We call it the gospel. If you're new around here, we will just tell you that what happens when you repent and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he doesn't give you a second chance. I'm sick and tired of watching people talk about God gave me a second chance. God could have given you 10 chances and you'd have messed up 11 of them. You didn't need a second chance. You needed a new life. So what he did when we put our faith and trust in him and what he did on the cross, he gives us his righteousness as a gift of grace. So yes, one day he can present a sinner like me before the throne of God without spot and without blemish. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So here's the ticket. Here's the gist of it. Before God, you're either spotless or hopeless. There is nobody that's, well, almost there. Just about there. When, when Jesus pulled his disciples to the side again, this was when he took them over to the Mount of Olives right before he was about to die. The very week he was going to die on the cross. He took them over to the Mount of Olives. He said, there's some things I need to tell you. He said, the kingdom of God is going to be like ten virgins. Five were wise and five were foolish. Now, if we had written that today, we would not have put up with that kind of black and white, uh, uh, clear division. We'd have had three that were wise and two that were kind of there. Three more that were, boy, totally unprepared. And two others that were kind of thinking about it. He says, no, there is no middle ground. You either are born again, spotless before God, deemed 100% righteous, or you are hopeless and on your way to hell. And you don't have to wait till you die for that. You're there right now. You're there right now. We're condemned already if we don't believe Jesus said those words so trust him and let him change your heart and life and give you his righteousness as a free gift but let me just tell you we we don't like that we don't like certainty and i want to just think about this for a moment we love ambiguity we we love uncertainty we love saying things like well you know we really don't know who's going to go to heaven who's not Actually, Jesus says you can. Actually, he says you can, but we, we, we don't like those things. As a matter of fact, we like to have doubts. When it comes to things like who is saved and who is lost, we love to keep that murky. When it comes to heaven and hell, we're pretty cool with heaven, but when it comes to hell, we go, well, you know, I, I just don't know. I, it's, just, it's just hard to, to 
to figure all of that out. Or sin and holiness. Is God okay with what we've done with marriage here in the United States? Is, is God okay with how we have taken sexuality, biblical sexuality, and we have totally abandoned it for our lust and, and our sinful flesh? Is God okay with that? You don't have to say, well, you know, I just don't know. I know some people, and they're really good people. I, I mean, they go to church and nothing left. We love the murkiness. A lot of people who don't really believe in trusting in Jesus as their Savior and all of that, they like to say God is incomprehensible. Do you realize that's a self-refuting statement? Because how did you know He was incomprehensible? You comprehended that. So there's some things that people who claim, oh, we just so much we don't know. There's some things that they do know. They know they have doubts and they, they pick what they doubt and, they, and, and the doubts for them. It's almost like a drug. If you have ever had a kidney stone, boy, I can just tell you, I, I, that's enough. I don't need to say anything else. You can doodle or something till I finish this. When they get you that morphine finally... And it flows through your body. It just feels warm. And, and your hand that's on the throat of the person who stopped you in the lobby and said you need to fill out some paperwork, you start loosening up and you can feel them start breathing again. It's, it's really amazing. And you take the hand railing you tore off the bed and set it over on the floor. And you finally go to sleep. There are a lot of people that their doubts bring them that same level of comfort. I can tell you, we need to stop pretending that there's things we don't know when we do. If a person has the Spirit of God in them, there'll be love and peace and joy, gentleness, meekness steadfastness, self-control. There will be the fruit of the Spirit will be there. Don't tell people you planted grass when nothing ever comes up in your yard but weeds. We know better than that. And he says, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. Just put your faith and trust in God. And instead of finding a false artificial peace because you refuse to look at what the Word of God makes clear, you can find your peace in Jesus Christ and trust in Him. Verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom of given to him. He said, look at the patience of the Lord and, and him not coming yesterday. Look at that as, as an opportunity for someone to find salvation. For the false teachers, the patience of the Lord means God has lied or God is never coming back or he has broken his promise. But he said, no, for you who are my children, make sure you look at my delayed coming as patience and salvation on my part. 
Verse 16, as he does in all his letters, he's talking about Paul, he's brought him up now. When he speaks in them these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. And this next statement is so true. It is so, and I don't mean it's more true than other statements, but I see it so much, it's almost frightening. Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do other scriptures as well. But look what he says here. He says, Paul was given the word of God through godly wisdom. But people like to take, this is Peter writing, 2,000 years ago. And he has said, there's people that like to take what Paul says and they like to twist it. And that's because they are ignorant and unstable. I can tell you, some of you know about this. I've taught about it, I think, here in a couple of classes. But we have this foolish thing called Pauline Christianity. And what it basically says is the gospel that Paul gave us is totally different than the gospel that Jesus Christ gave us. That Jesus Christ came and showed us how to love one another and care for one another and, 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 and to be benevolent to each other. It really makes him more of a social justice warrior than anything else. But that Paul came along and perverted the true gospel and started talking about this resurrection from the dead and, and all of that and that he is alive and his ascension and, and that Paul is the source of all of that. That he perverted the true gospel I don't know if you've run into this yet or not but you'll find friends of yours they love Jesus but they hate Paul see Paul got into some of that old icky stuff you know like women couldn't be pastors where'd he get that why Jesus wouldn't say anything like that and between Paul and Jesus, though, here's the irony. You know which one of them talked way more about hell? Jesus did. Would you like to know which one never mentioned it? Paul. But they like to say Paul perverted the gospel. All this stuff that he said. It's just, and here's Peter warning us 2,000 years ago that they're going to do that because they're ignorant and they're unstable. Let me just tell you something about people that, that embrace all of these doubts about what Paul had to say. And, and just give me Jesus because Jesus taught us how to just love one another and embrace people no matter what their sexual identity or preference or how they see marriage or how they live their life. Jesus just wants us to just, just, just to love everybody. Well, he does want us to love everybody. But I want to tell you, just because you can't comprehend that there's a hell doesn't mean there's not one. There are people that don't realize it, but you know what their God is? They think it's the Creator, but it's not. It's their mind. Their mind is the arbiter and judge for what can be and what cannot be. And if they can't wrap their mind around things like an eternal hell where people are destroyed who rejected God, if they can't wrap their mind around that, if that doesn't make sense to them, if all they can see when they think about eternity is all of us running around watching Hitler apologize to Jews and, and be kind to dogs and all of that stuff, if that's all they can think about in their mind, then that's got to be how it is. I can tell you, 
We're not the arbiter for what God does and what God says, friend. Just because we can't wrap our mind around it. Man, there are people that are like, well, I believe God created the world, but not in six days. You know, I think it, you know, like six days has been a little tough. You know he created though, right? You just what, had to give him more time? No, what needed more time was your mind. Because you couldn't comprehend it, God couldn't do it. You see how foolish that is? Six days? I don't know why he took six days. He could have done it in six seconds. What do you, I mean, just think about that. If you can create the world and say, oh, six years. Or 6,000 years. If you can create the universe, I don't care how long you choose to, to, to take to do it. If you can do all of that, you can do it however you want to do it. Don't try to make all of that easier on God. And really, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to find intellectual respectability. They go, well, yeah, the Bible was written by people who thought the earth was flat. Hey, we thought it rotated around the sun till the 1600s. We're not so far ahead. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the era of lawlessness or lawless people and lose your stability. You. Because it occurs first in the original language, the word you, it, it really should be but you. It's emphatic. You need to make sure that you don't get carried away by this kind of foolishness. And some of you just lost a bet because we're going to look at verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. He, that's, that's what He said. Amen. Grow. A present imperative in the original language means don't ever stop. Keep on growing. Don't ever stop. And grow in grace. And grow in knowledge. There's a lot we might not understand. Keep studying. Be a student of the Word. Don't carry around a book that you don't read. Study the Word of God. And grow in His grace. Become more like Him in your relationships with your wife and children and husband and your church. Let God do that work in your life. Man, how cool is it? It would have been no different than had I gone to the mailbox. You see how quick I made this a prop? It's just a talent I have. It would have been no different had I gone to the mailbox and gotten a letter and said, somebody wrote us a letter, Cornerstone. Uh, the mail service was a little slow, 
because they mailed it <laughs> over 2,000 years ago. Finally got here. And then the letter. Oh, it's from Peter. Oh, that's pretty cool. And Peter is telling us all through the letter. Three big pages of it. He says, hang in there, folks. He's coming back. Keep focused on eternity. Don't be led astray by false teachers. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. What an awesome letter. I don't know which letter we're going to read next. I'll be going to the mailbox this week. God's got more to say to us. Unless he calls us home this week. We'll keep looking at them. If you're here today and don't know him as your Savior, man. And maybe you're here today and you do, you, you, but you just don't enjoy any of these things. Your, your doubts just overcome you. You just don't know. I, I trusted Christ, but. I just don't know whether I'm saved or, or not. Let, let me tell you something that the Word of God tells us in the New Testament. It says, even if our hearts condemn us, that God is greater than our heart. So don't follow your heart. Follow God. Satan would love to keep you in limbo from now on. He'd love to keep you in that place of observation and never really getting involved. Coming and listening to sermons and hearing the singing and, and all of that, but from a safe distance. Man, make it right with God. Let Him give you the assurance of His salvation. And enjoy that and walk in that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for taking us on this journey together. I pray now, Lord, you'd make your way clear for the days ahead. Lead us, Lord, to a, another passage that will enrich our hearts, God, and help to mature us, Lord, and make us what we need to be. Lord, please. Help us, God, to have the right perspective. Help us, Lord, to see things from an eternal perspective, God. Help us, Lord, to focus on You. We love You, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.